So I have, have some information this morning that some of the students might not want to hear. We're halfway through summer. <laughs> the good news is you still got half of your summer left, right? It's all about how you look at it. We're also halfway through our summer sermon series called But God. We didn't really name that series. That's straight from God's Word. We've been looking at different texts of Scripture this summer uh, where the, the transition, the story hinges on this idea of but God. Before we jump into this morning's text, I want us to zoom big picture. I mean like not big picture of the text or even big picture of God's Word. I mean big picture of reality. I want us to zoom way out. Way more than 30,000 feet. I'm talking like universe type. Zoom out. And I I want us to to try to get a snapshot of something this morning about the only worldview that makes any sense or offers any hope. So we all have a worldview. We we talk a good bit about worldview. If if you're new around here uh, because of our Christian school here, worldview comes up a lot in our conversations. Everybody has a worldview. Real quick, I I, want to present what I believe is, is a biblical worldview. Super quick, but, but for us to move forward and not just kind of stop in the middle of this series and say, let, let's talk about what a biblical worldview is. So we're going to rewind a little bit. We're going to look big picture. So a biblical worldview begins with this to the camera guys. I'm sorry. I know I'm walking into the shadows. Our, our worldview has to start with purpose. Our worldview has to start with an authoritative and powerful God who created everything that is. And by the way, important, created it good. Our story, our worldview begins with God. Right? Our worldview can't end there because that doesn't match reality. What we believe is first is creation and then there's the fall. You could say, God, but man, but humankind, but us. (laughs) We rebelled against the authority of a creator God. And when we rebelled against that, we fell. And here's what happened when we fell. Everything that was good became broken. Now there's such a thing as brokenness, fallenness. That's reality. God, but man. But I'm so glad our worldview doesn't end there. But God made a plan to redeem for himself among the fallen and broken in sin, a people for himself. God created the world good. Everything was broken because of sin. But God sent his son into the fallenness, but lived unfallen. God entered the brokenness and lived unbroken so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we could be redeemed, bought out of our fallenness. That's where God's people say, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, uh uh-huh, something. Creation, fall, redemption, what could be better than that? I'm glad you asked. We wait for that great day. Even so, Lord Jesus, 
We call this restoration. But honestly, that's not a great word. We just don't have a word. Because when we think of restoration, that means you're restoring it like it used to be. It's better news than that. He's actually going to restore it better than it ever was. Beyond our wildest imagination. You could call this God, but man, but God, oh, but God. There you go. Here's why this is so important this morning. Here's. Please hear your pastor's heart this morning. This is the only way life makes sense when it hurts. You ready? We live right here. It's the only way life makes any sense. You can have whatever worldview you want. I'm just telling you, life makes no sense apart from a biblical worldview that says, I live in a world that is fallen and broken and being redeemed and longing for restoration. It's the only way life makes sense. Why do bad things happen? This is why. Why do people I love get sick? This is why. Why do marriages struggle? This is why. Why do I lose my hair? This is why. This is the only way. Life still hurts. It just makes a little more sense. It's got a little more hope infused in it. We sorrow not as those who have no hope when this is our world view. We live right here. We live right in the middle of but man and but God. With that thought, I encourage you to please grab your Bible if you would this morning. If you're a guest today... Uh, we're going to invite you to join with our tradition where we hold up our Bibles and say a creed together before we dive in. If you don't have a Bible, there's one, uh, should be one underneath the seat in front of you. So please grab your Bibles, let's hold them up, and let's say this together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23. It's page 230 if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat. 1 Samuel 23. While you're turning there, I would say this about this whole idea, this whole concept of but God. But God changes everything. Not just on a global, universal, celestial, or even spiritual scale, But God changes everything right where you are today. But God changes everything. Skip Heitzig said the phrase, but God is one of the most significant, eloquent transitions in Scripture. That word transition is important, right? This sermon series is not called and God. It's not just like he's coming alongside our reality and there's two realities. The reality of humans and the reality of God. No, no, no. It's but God. It's a transition. Something's changing because God entered the scene. (laughs) It's not and God, it's but God. And that that transition changes everything. There's at least 45 times, depending on the translation that you're reading, where we read the phrase, but God or but the Lord. And every time we see it, the story changes on a dime. Now that idea is all throughout Scripture. There's hundreds of times we could call them but God moments. We're not going to look at all 45 of those in this summer sermon series. We're only looking at a few of them, but 
This morning we find one in 1 Samuel chapter 23 in the life of soon-to-be King David. Verse 14. Now I want you to notice the ands before the but. This is good human versus God kind of a text. That's why we started here. I want you to notice this. And if you're an underliner or a circler or a highlighter, if you actually have a paper Bible, I want you to circle, underline and, right? And David remained. And David remained. And he remained where? In the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country, the wilderness of Ziph. And that's not what's important. Where he was is not important. Why don't you circle that word remained? That's the language of being stuck. Man, as humans, we can't stand feeling stuck. Got no options. We resent that. And David remained. Then look at the next and. And Saul sought. Because we live smack dab in the middle of fallenness and redemption, trouble seeks us out. Even when we're not looking for it. That's how broken this stuff is. That's how fallen this deal is. Circle the word sought. Saul sought him every day. And by the way, tomorrow morning when you wake up, I got good news for you. Trouble's looking for you too. Let's dismiss. That's just reality. It's the only way life makes sense. We can just own up to, fess up to, get real about the fact that trouble is looking for us. Sometimes we're looking for trouble. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Even when we're not, it's looking for us. Saul sought him every day. And then here's the two words that change everything. But God. But God did not give him, David, into his Saul's hand. Here's here's the first point if you're a note taker. Life is broken. But God. Life is broken. And we're going to look at two ideas in this text this morning. The first one is, but God has a plan. God has a plan. David is like, man, this is the end of me. I'm stuck. I'm never going to see the fulfillment of these prophecies of a future blessed by God. And God's up in heaven going, have you met me? He has a plan. And here's the thing about the plans of our God. Here's the power of but God. And this morning, I'm not about to say something that's super deep. If you've been welcome with the Lord, I hope you already believe what I'm going to say. But this is the kind of thing we need to say more often. Okay? When God has a plan, none of the forces of the universe can stop it. <laughs> Every plan that God has for your life, for your marriage, for your, there, are, there is no force in the universe that can stop the plans of a sovereign God. Either he's authoritative or he's not. He's either sovereign or he's reacting. Uh Uh-oh, what do I do now? We believe in a God that has a plan and nothing can stop his plan. David, in this moment, he's risen to fame, just trying to serve the Lord. He he's He's risen to fame by defeating Goliath and then having a lot of success in battle. And Saul's tormented and jealous of him. And David's fleeing for his life here. 
Man, trouble's just chasing after me. Life is really broken. But God has a plan. That's really hard to see when brokenness is pursuing us. Let's say it this way. Bad stuff happens. It's just not the end of the story if God is who he says he is. Right? Say it this way. Brokenness will find us, but God won't let it finish us. Man, if you're going to get up tomorrow, brokenness is going to find us. But as long as God's still on the throne, and and here's the deal, the reason we come together as the people of God and sing songs about his faithfulness is we need to remind our hearts again and again and again that he is still on the throne. He's still good at his job. He didn't take a day off. He's not on summer vacation. He hasn't fallen off the throne or handed his control to somebody else. Our God still is the God of the universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's God. He's got this. He has a plan. And nothing can stop that. Trouble will find us. David spent 10 years living as a refugee. Not 10 months. Not 10 days. For some of us in our suffering, not 10 minutes. I don't know about you, man. My patience is short. I'm like, come on, Lord, where have you been? I asked this at least 15 minutes ago. Ten years. Interestingly, some of the most powerful psalms in the scriptures were written during those ten years. Because that's what God does. (laughs) That's what God does. His plans are being fulfilled in that suffering, conforming us to the image of Jesus. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said the most Christ-like followers of God are those who have suffered the most affliction. That's what it does. Which is, which is why we started off with that worldview idea. That's the whole gospel narrative. Life is broken, but God has a plan. Like that's the whole gospel. That's the whole idea. Martin Lloyd Jones said this, those two words, but God, in and of themselves contain the whole of the gospel of Christ. (laughs) That's the whole gospel. We messed up, but God. Let's sing just as I am. That's the whole gospel. Brokenness that we encounter in this life can actually be good for us. Because what it does is it confronts faith in self. And it infuses us with the opportunity to have faith in the God of the Bible. The only one who's really trustworthy. This is the gospel. And I will, by the way, this isn't just David's story. In 46 years, I've rarely grown at all apart from suffering, apart from loss, apart from failure, apart from pain, apart from regret. Anybody with me? Maybe I'm just not smart enough to grow in the good times. (laughs) But I've barely grown in my faith apart from suffering. This is the gospel. Now, there's a guy, he's a controversial guy. And so you can save your emails about this guy, but I'm going to quote him anyways. Richard Rohr said, once we reach the age of 30, success has very little to teach us. Once we reach the age of 30, he said, success is fun and rewarding. It just doesn't teach us anything new. He said, success 
is not a bad friend. It's just a lousy teacher. The only thing that can teach us, that can get through to us and profoundly change us is suffering, failure, loss, and wounds. Anybody else? Yeah? So when I encounter the brokenness of life, that's not the end. That's the beginning of a better something. Can we believe that just a little bit today? Can we refocus suffering, not to say suffering is enjoyable, not to say suffering is desirable, but to say in the economy of God, suffering's never wasted. He's always up to something good. He can't help it. It's who he is. The, the good and the bad. I greeted somebody this morning. I said, how are you doing? He said, good and bad. I said, welcome to the club. But I want you to hear this this morning. And I know I've said this before. Maybe this is something we should say every single week. We'll add it to the creed. I don't know. Good times are not an, an endorsement of our goodness. And bad times are not an indictment of our badness. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Listen, we have good times because of the mercies of the Lord. And they're not all bad times because of the mercies of the Lord. We experience bad times because we live in a broken, fallen world and we are broken, fallen people and we're doing life with other broken, fallen people, which means sometimes life feels broken and fallen. God's not out to get you and God's not also looking to give you a gold star. It's actually not about you. By the way, your goodness ain't all that good. Love you. Love you lots. But you ain't God. Our suffering is not about God. Mad at us and trying to punish us. As a matter of fact, the, the badness we see in this story is completely unjust. I've been reminded in a, in a fresh way, almost like it's the first time I've ever really been taught this by the Holy Spirit. I've been reminded recently, we have no idea how many people our sin affects. The people caught in the wake of our rebellion against God is beyond our human comprehension. And guess what that means? Sometimes we're caught in that wake of somebody else's rebellion. If we're going to live in a broken world, that the only way life makes sense is with a worldview that says, I'm living smack dab in the middle of fallenness and redemption, longing for restoration. Those of you who are reading through the Bible in a year, any of you, we're, we're reading through the book of Acts right now, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to read this. Those of you who are over it, I'm calling you out. It's, it's been interesting to read that in light of preparing to preach this text because the whole theme of the book of Acts was faithfully proclaiming Jesus and being persecuted for it. Like that, that's the stuck button. Faithfully doing what you know to do and facing hardship from it. Why do bad things happen to good people? The number one objection to belief in God that people give. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I believe that red circle at the beginning of the sermon this morning is the only way to answer that question. Because we're not actually as good as we think we are. And life's not actually as good as we intend it to be. And because God is good. And he's trying to redeem goodness out of our brokenness. It's the only way... That life can make sense. I'll say this. If, if you were ever told, because sadly this story is told, and told loudly, and told with like fancy websites and fancy video cameras and 
Here's the deal. If you were told that when you become a Christian, your problems go away, I want to be the first one to apologize to you today. Most people I've watched in my short little life, their problems have gotten worse when they gave their life to Jesus. Because they actually had wisdom now and saw how broken the world was. Now, your biggest problem does go away in Christ. He bears the weight of our sin and the curse of our sin. If you're new to church and don't know what that means, we don't have to go to hell because Jesus faced the horrors of hell on the cross for us. So our biggest problem, yep, that one went away. But all the rest of our problems are still sitting to our right and our left this morning. And in our seat too. One author I was reading, he said this. He said, isn't it good to know that bad situations and even bad people can't stop a good God? Life is broken, but God has a plan. Which means no matter how weak you feel today, how bruised you feel today on the authority of but God, you're invincible until God's done with you. Life is broken, but God has a plan. Look back to our text again. Look at verse number 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David's in the wilderness, Ziph at Horesh. And I want you to notice this next verse. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. Strengthen his hand. In God. Our second big idea in the text this morning is simply this. Life is broken, but God has a people. (laughs) Life is broken, but God has a plan and God has a people. I love the simplicity and the beauty of this little text here. And and, I want to challenge the people of God this morning to lean in a little bit. Because either you need somebody to come do this for you, or God's calling you to do this in life of somebody else. Real simple, I want you, again, if you're an underliner or a note taker or whatever, I want you to see this. We're going to walk through five ideas from this text. Number one, Jonathan rose. He got up. Like he inconvenienced himself. He put down his phone. He turned off the TV. Somebody. Like, Jonathan, do you, do you realize Jonathan was fine? Saul wasn't after him. Matter of fact, the reason Saul was after David is because he thought Jonathan wasn't going to get the throne. Jonathan inconvenienced himself in order to be the tangible, flesh and bone, visible, but God moment for somebody else. He rose, got up, and then he went. <laughs> like he actually went and sat in the place of suffering with his brother. This order is important, right? That he, he actually got up and then physically met him in his suffering. Sometimes as a people of God, we're really good at preaching from a distance. But we see this again and again in the life of Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes and sits down with the brokenhearted. Right? The psalmist tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. 
I share that verse at every funeral, even though I have no idea what it means. If God is everywhere, he's as near as he can be. How does he come nearer than near? Isn't that, I don't know, but how great is that? (laughs) We model that when we come close, not as the Bible answer guy, just as a present manifest presence of God among the people of God with somebody. He rose, he went, and then look at this. He strengthened his hand in God. He didn't just go sit with him in sorrow and go, you're right, life stinks. Let's get drunk. Right? Let's go get ice cream and watch a sad movie. He said, hey, you don't have to waller in this. Like if God's God, then we can choose to cling to that reality. He strengthened his hand in God. Sometimes I've watched people do a good job. If I'm going to get up, inconvenience myself, I'm going to go be present. And then I'm actually going to make the problem worse by going, I know it's so unfair. I just feel awful for you. This is terrible. I got to go to work now. No, how about we show up and go, man, listen, I know you're down, but can I tell you what else is true? God's still on the throne. God's still got a plan for you. You're not as alone as you feel. You're not as busted as it seems. You're not without hope as long as the resurrection's still true. He strengthened him. And here's how he did that. Next verse. He said to him. Underline the word said. Here's the thing. When we're present with someone in their, in their suffering, we're saying something. What are we saying? Are we speaking truth? What we say when a person's struggling. And by the way, if you're suffering today, I would ask you, what are the voices saying into your life? You deserve better? That's straight poison. Are the voices that are speaking into our hearts speaking truth? And again, if you're an underliner, I want you to underline or circle. There's three uses of the strongest declaration of faith that exists in the Hebrew language here. You ready? This is what he said. Do not fear the hand of Saul, my father. It shall not find you. There's no way for him to say that stronger than shall. Shall was, no, for real, for real. (laughs) Like that's the strongest take it to the bank word that exists in the Hebrew language. And he's got two more. You shall be king over Israel. I shall be next to you. And then check this. I love it. Saul, my father, also knows this. Even he knows he's going to lose. And if I can put this into my own words for a minute, here's what that looks like to me. He let David borrow his faith. I'm going to show up in that moment, and I've got enough faith to spare. I'm going to lend you my faith. 
in the godness of God and the goodness of God and the plan of God and the presence of God because I'm here to be the people of God. Life is broken. But God has a plan that cannot be stopped. And he has a people who have a calling, a holy calling, to inconveniently show up in suffering. For the strengthening of hurting hearts, that we would proclaim truth and lend our faith to a struggling soul. This is the but God reality of living in a broken world. James Montgomery Boyce, incredible theologian, he said, if you understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. Like if we could get up with a but God belief and behavior tomorrow morning. What might life look like? And and this is the difference. See, the truth of God delivers us from the poison of a victim mentality. Life is just whatever happens to me tomorrow. Apart from God, that's actually true. But for the people of God, we say there is not a single... There's not a single thing I will encounter that does not have permission from a good God to enter my life. That does not have a holy purpose on it. Nothing, not a single moment, not a single heartbreak, not a single disappointment, not a single failure of my own is not leveraged by a good and gracious God for good purposes. And I don't want to believe that in the suffering. I want to believe it today before I get there. Some of us are trying to grow faith right now in some suffering and it's really hard in the middle of a moment. And so if you're not heartbroken today, then today's the day to build the muscle of faith to say, my God has a plan for what? For everything, even the bad stuff, especially the bad stuff. But we're not alone in that because God has a people. If you're living life isolated from the body of Christ, here's the deal, friend. When a storm hits, you're going to wish you weren't alone. You say, but life's good. I don't need anybody today. Sounds like the day to take somebody to coffee. I think I skipped the the quote. It was going to be on the screen. Skip Heitzig said, bad days call for good friends. So if it's not a bad day, today's the day to be making friends. (laughs) Now, by the way, if you haven't and a bad day hits, we're here. We'll be your friends. We need each other. We need to believe that God has a plan and God has a people. I shared this story in chapel at the end of this past school year. And I don't think I've mentioned it here, but even if I have, as I've studied this text, I've continued to think about this, this woman in Middletown, Ohio that I've never met. A wife and a mom. For years. For years she's prayed that her husband would get saved. And for 12 years she's prayed for her son to come to know the Lord somehow. Even though her husband wants nothing to do with God. Her 12 year old son plays 
football on a local rec football team and his football coach happens to be the youth pastor at a church pastored by a good friend of mine. In May, Maurice and I went up to Ohio. I spoke at a men's event. That 12-year-old boy was there with his football coach. At the end of that service, when an invitation was given, one of the first people to respond was that 12-year-old boy. He gave his life to Christ and was saved. That mom began to see an answer to prayer through the people of God, the unstoppable plan of God, but she was not content with that story. I came back home to do life with y'all, and all of a sudden, uh, I'd been home about a week. I got a phone call from my friend. He said, man, I need you to pray. That football coach got a call from that little 12-year-old boy's dad today. He said, can we please meet tomorrow? He said, sure, what's up? He said, I need you to come to my house and explain to me what in the world happened to my son. Because I want whatever he's got. My buddy Jim Jr. went and shared the gospel with him. And right there in that living room, right next to his wife, who prayed for all those years and wondered, does God have a plan? And Is there any other people working on this? She watched her husband pray to receive Jesus Christ. And then the next day, it was Father's Day. And that father and son were baptized together. That happened in the midst of that heartbroken wife and mama's life because we serve a God who always has a plan. And who always has a people. There's not a single moment we will step into that that's not true today. Let's be real. Life's broken. But God has a plan. And God has a people.